I'm Christy. I started this podcast with the victims and their families in mind. I love true crime, and so often I find the victims' lives and the stories about who they are get lost in the details of their death or disappearance, and I just wanted to do a podcast my own way and reach out to families and and talk with them so they know that they're not alone. I want the families to know that there's a whole community of true crime enthusiasts that would love to be able to help. So getting the word out about these stories is so important, especially in this day and age where social media and technology continue to show us that they are capable of solving cold cases. And in the Midwest, where 48% of homicides go unsolved, social media can be so important. So welcome to Little Crimes on the Prairie, brought to you by Crooked Sea Ranch Productions. Well, they need to come clean. They're, they're going to hell. You gotta confess your sins or you're, you're gonna burn. I mean, you're not, I don't know how you can live with it. And I don't know how you can have a child and not feel the pain, right? You know, he did something. Don't make a deal with the first one that comes to, you know, you'll get maybe, what, 20 years and then you get out in five. I mean, they didn't like to get a lot, a lot of time anyway. There's so much I can't say when I look into your eyes. I'm worried you'll reject me and hurt my foolish pride. Each day this love grows stronger, but I could never let you know. There's so much behind my smile that I could never show. I'd hold you for a lifetime if you'd let me in. I'd love you in ways like no other, but you don't understand. And that was written by Rachel Syriax. Rachel was born on Halloween in 1983. And her mom describes her as always on the go and a daddy's girl. I spoke to a few local residents who said Rachel was well-liked in her community. And obviously, she liked to write poetry, too. Rachel was a bit of a wild child after high school. And she met Brad Syriax in 2001. And they were married in 2002. And 11 days later, uh, their first son was born. 11 months later came her second son. And after that, a little girl, Rachel was described by friends as a good mom, despite her issues with substance abuse and Brad and Rachel's sometimes violent relationship. The poem Serena read earlier, the words that were written by Rachel, they were pretty telling of Brad and Rachel's relationship. Seems like she just couldn't, you know, get in with him. So it was a long road for her. It seemed like Uh, 2013, early 2013, it seemed that she was trying to get her life back on track. I know her kids were with a family member. So I know, I know that was a goal of hers, you know, was to eventually get her kids back and move on with her life without Brad. Yeah. Without, it's not uncommon to be afraid of the person that you're with in a relationship with. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually pretty common. The first, what is it? The first few months after leaving a long relationship are the, are the most dangerous for women, I believe. Crucial. Yeah. And a lot of times it leads to just basically a relapse. You go... Go back to the lifestyle. You, you go back to it. 
it's hard to escape from. I think it takes several attempts for most domestic violence victims to finally be done. And I think a majority of women and a lot of men know what that's like. How many women and men go through domestic violence situations in South Dakota? In South Dakota, it's one in three women and one in four men. 33.7% of South Dakota women experience or report experiencing intimate violence and stalking, and 30.2% of men uh, report experiencing that as well. And that's just in South Dakota. And domestic violence accounts for 15% of all crime in South Dakota. 15%? 15%. Wow. That's that's even pretty high. It, actually higher than I thought it would be for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, considering, you know, I've been in a in an abusive relationship. So, yeah, I guess it is a little bit more common than, than we think. And, and that's just what's reported. I mean... In in the U.S., it says that one in four women and one in seven men are victims of intimate violence. So it's like less frequent for both compared to South Dakota. I suppose it is a little bit more common here than other areas. You know, it is still very conservative state. People just um, have certain ideals sometimes. And no, I'm in no way saying that conservatives are, are wife beaters or anything, <laughs> yeah. so don't hate me. Or, you know, I'm just saying um, if it, if it's happening, it's likely that it's happening frequently. And, and people don't, people don't like to talk about that. They don't like to talk about a lot of things, actually. So um, especially something as uncomfortable as that, especially like if you see it, and I'm sure the numbers are even higher and a lot of it goes unreported because... Absolutely. A lot of people seem to make jokes out of that sort of thing. Yeah. Even where where we live, it's people think it's funny that their girlfriend hits them or that their boyfriend is controlling and abusive, and it's not. It's... It's very sad. It's extremely sad. I mean, and I know that my first husband, I did not report any of the abuse that I went through. It was well known in my community, just like Rachel, you know, in her community. It was it was well known. Everybody knew about it. Um, Everyone can spot a tumultuous relationship like that. It's not it's not hard. You can tell. It's so scary. So with that being said, um I did speak with Rachel's mom. She's a very sweet lady. As a matter of fact, she is the one that told me her friend also had a son missing and introduced me to Eugene's family. So that kind of told me everything I needed to know about Rachel's mom and how kind she is. And I hope you forgive any thumps you may hear. That's my dog running up and down the stairs. She's very upset that I shut her out of the studio. So she's been whining and, and running up and down the stairs. She is definitely entitled. <laughs> she... She deserves to be here. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, that would be all great and everything, but yeah, she would not, she would not enjoy it. I promise. Um, <laughs> anyways, moving on. So after she marries Brad, that was so tumultuous. They were actually both in and out of jail for various reasons. There were several domestic abuse situations involving law enforcement and. It was pretty out of control from, from what I understand, both from family and friends. And even people just randomly in the community were like, yeah, she was often 
seen, you know, running away from the house or uh, running down Main Street for for whatever reason, just trying to get away from him at times. And she was very open about it, too. So people were well aware of what was going on. I think in hindsight, I think everyone wishes they would have done a little bit more. But to be quite honest, you know, when there's somebody in a relationship like that, it's their choice at the end of the day on when they're when they're ready to yeah i mean they're not just going to get up and go because you think that they should and as much as you want to help eventually you come to a point where it becomes very difficult because in the past they just have not done anything to keep themselves from those situations so it gets very frustrating and i totally understand that but the relationships themselves become almost addictive Oh, yeah. I mean, you you get so hooked on that high of the one good day yeah. that brings it all back. The, and then the chaos. Like, I mean, you, yeah. you know, you're, it's like your dopamine levels go up and down and you get so addicted to it. it it's interesting. It, it's just, it, I mean, it, it's not even interesting. It's awful. And, you know, eventually Rachel had filed for divorce from Brad. And I know that that wasn't granted right away. He was either in jail or, well, probably in jail, from what I understand. The state was waiting to hear from him, to hear his side, and eventually it did go through. I I believe it was granted. Um, I'm not sure that it was ever finalized. I don't know if the paperwork was ever signed, for sure or not. Yeah, I did reach out to Brad. He didn't answer. He has nothing to say. Well, yeah, he he didn't answer my messages at all, so... I am just, Which isn't a surprise. Well, no, I mean... He's kept that. He's kept that up this whole time, pretty much. Yeah. Read this is a transcript from... It would be... Dakota News Now. I believe it was Kelloland back then. Oh, I could be wrong, but... Pretty or sure it was... KSFY, I Or think. one of the two. It was from a local news station. It looks like a piece by Michaela Feldman. All this? Okay. Rachel's husband, Brad Syriax, is what I would consider a prime suspect in this investigation. He has, to this day, really done nothing to clear his name. The things he does continue to point the finger at him being responsible for this. And that was a quote by Tyler Newharth from South Dakota Department of Criminal Investigations. Newharth also said, sit back and think about what if your loved one was lost and gone for five years? What would they want someone else to do in their situation. I think the right thing to do is come forward and share that information. Uh, Genuinely, it's a fear that it's going to take another five years. I don't know Rachel. I didn't know Rachel, obviously, before this happened, so I don't know her on a personal level. But after getting this involved in in an investigation and spending this much time, it almost feels like you know them, and it does become pretty personal for you. That was all stated by Tyler Newharth from DCI. He's worried it's going to just continue taking time, and he doesn't know if they're ever going to find Rachel. Her current status is missing and endangered. And um, and presumed dead by the Sanborn County Sheriff's Office. So that's that's pretty serious stuff. I mean, there were... But we all know, without physical evidence, right. without a body, right? what can you do? Well... The rest of the evidence has to be pretty in your face yeah for there I mean, to be nobody yeah for sure you know like pamela dunn's case definitely was a nobody case it's not like there's no hope but it does depend on you know the circumstance and you know obviously they did take this case before the grand jury it was a no-go 
It wasn't like, you know, they've done nothing or think that they have nothing. It's just that they don't have enough. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a lot of theories. She's in a culvert um, somewhere near. It would be somewhere near the interstate between Mitchell and and Huron or Mitchell and Woonsocket, probably. The weird thing is, is that I've seen culverts built before, and I don't know that they actually like pour concrete to build culverts. Oh, they come like precast, preformed. So I don't know for sure, but I mean, that much I do know is that usually they come that way. Maybe it was some kind of, you know, bigger. It seems you know, pretty far fetched. Well, uh, yeah. To, you know, for, a, for a body to be in a in a culvert. It seems like a lot of people could have found something like that, you know. And I mean, not like in the culvert, like inside, like, I mean, like, was con- she was put in there like during construction yeah. of this culvert. Like yeah. in the con- in the cement. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, but you think someone would have noticed that? <laughs> well, they did. Well, yeah. And I mean, they did ground penetrating radar in that area. I don't know that they actually like went over that culvert area or if they would have actually seen anything. Um, I know that sometimes they do have issues with using that GPR with, you know, with concrete. Yeah. Sees anomalies for some reason that aren't there. Also, like digging into the concrete is kind of a big deal. <laughs> You know, did it, they do that? No, I don't no. think so. It I, seems like more than they'd be willing to do. It seems like very expensive. Yeah, I mean, considering it was something that was just built, I understand. You know how budgets are tight in certain counties, rural areas um, specifically. So, how how would she have gotten there? Well, Who, I mean, there were you know there were rumors that did, you know Brad had a friend who you know worked at that site. You know, there were all sorts of rumors. These friends are still, like, in the area, I guess, according to, you know, Rachel's family, mm-hmm. friends, and, and whoever. It's just interesting that you can just, like, be hanging around and possibly know something like that. Obviously, Brad took off. He's no longer in the area. He's out in Rapid City, I believe. So, you know, just out there doing what Brad does, I guess. Last moments and the last time that she was seen... Would be, what, the morning of the 12th? November 12th? So it's been reported as the 12th. Um, Her mom says it's the 13th. Okay. Her mom really, really knew she was missing, I think she said, on the 15th. Because she didn't call her on her birthday. Yeah, yeah. She kind of had that worry. And obviously law enforcement didn't, you know, didn't respond as as quickly as they may have for for someone who didn't have Rachel's issues, which is unfortunate. But from my understanding, you know, it's been looked into pretty pretty extensively, and without really someone coming forward with new information, it's going to be really difficult for them to actually find someone who who knows anything or you know is even going to be alive eventually to talk about it. Apparently, there's a lot of murders over in that area. I, did I tell you that? No. In, like, the Mitchell-Huron area? Yeah, uh, Woonsocket and Huron area specifically. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. Apparently there is, like, a lot from what I've heard that Rachel had a friend named RJ who was murdered. And I, honestly, I haven't even looked into it yet. Um, she did have a tattoo. An RJ tattoo. Yep. Yep. And, and um, yeah, that I was told that that's what that was for. I mean... What the hell is going on in Woonsocket? I don't know, but... So, she was last physically seen at her place of employment. That would have been... That's what... 
Yeah, that's what's reported. She's last seen at her place of employment in Mitchell. Performance pet. Yeah, and then um, she also had driven herself to work that day, from what I understand. And then after work, she went and picked up Brad, who was getting released from jail. And then that was the last time she was seen. According to friends and family, she was seen on surveillance video picking up Brad. I couldn't confirm that with the DCI, but, you know, I'm inclined to believe that. Pretty common knowledge. So, but yeah, so that's interesting that that was the last time she was seen was the day he got out of jail. It's definitely a coincidence, if nothing else. Mm, Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's been said, you know, that... Brad is a prime suspect here. Yeah. That's... I mean, I mean, that's well, pretty clear. I mean, the DCI, the DCI has said that publicly. So, I mean, you know, that's it's fair to assume, you know, and to be, and to be honest, you know, Rachel had been hanging out with a guy in Sioux Falls, Chris Larson, and, and also filing for divorce. Yeah. So he had several reasons to be pretty upset about it. And Chris Larson too, you know, to be fair to, to anyone involved, you know, he had um, mental health issues and um, substance abuse issues as well. I believe, you know, and legal trouble it kind of comes with the territory, you know. And he was quite a bit older than yeah, Rachel about, as well, like about, 13. Yeah, 13 years, is, I think. My um, parents are 13 years apart. Yeah. When you're in your late, that's that's a lot of years. Yeah. That's a lot of years. Yeah, it is. He seemed to really like her, though. Rachel's mom, Mary, said, you know, he, he seemed to really care about her and seemed like a nice a nice guy, you know, despite his problems. And unfortunately, Chris Larson took his own life March 23rd, 2016. From what I understand, um, his mental illness got the best of him, and uh, that's unfortunate. So may he rest in peace, I guess. So moving on. Brad actually told Rachel's mother, Mary? Yep. That Rachel would go missing someday. That's a weird thing to... Yeah. That's a weird thing to tell the mother of your significant other. Yeah. Scary. Well, yeah, for sure. And and Mary said, well, I'll just, I'll always remember that. And, you know, of course. And she has. She has every right to, to think Brad was involved. And shame on him, you know, for letting her go this long without, you know, some peace of mind or answers, I guess. I guess it'll come full circle in the end, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. She had a quilt that was also missing that her mom couldn't find after her disappearance. I thought that was, uh, that was kind of weird, like... I, you know, I know that she was staying in Mitchell, um, not too far from her job. Another friend had, had told me that. So she was, yeah, she was staying with people. So, you know, it wouldn't be a, a big surprise for her to be, you know, have that quilt like in her truck or something mm-hmm. if she planned on going back to Woonsocket, you know, or even just to have it, you know, for wherever she decided right. to crash. Well, yeah, because, and we're talking like November. So I think one of the rules living in the upper midwest is you should keep some extra clothes some extra blankets yeah yeah stuff in your car when yeah. it, when you're hitting winter because you never know what's going to happen you could get stuck anywhere yeah you definitely it is need cold a, you definitely need a winter survival kit so, so it, it's not it's totally normal that she would have a blanket in her car yeah yeah and i mean and according to another friend she uh you know called her for help one time um and she had left after an incident with Brad, I believe. It was the middle of winter, and she was, you know, walking down the street, didn't have any proper winter gear on, and, you know, her friend came and picked her up. You know, at least she had some good friends. So that, you know, that was comforting to hear. And that quilt, 
was not even found in her truck when her her truck was oh yeah. also missing for yeah until what, January until January yeah yeah and then it was found in here on at some person's house I guess and the quilt wasn't in there so yeah it's safe to say that the quilt is probably with Rachel yeah wherever she is yeah and then and also like um her house is like vandalized and. It was like a broken light fixture inside the house. and Yeah, that was kind of concerning to me. Well, and then there was like, there was, a, there was a few other small things that were damaged. But, you know, it kind of just seemed like, like someone was trying to make it look like, maybe cast some doubt as to like, yeah. you know, who was really responsible. But it was a really poor attempt, in my opinion. I mean, honestly, like, it's not like you trashed the place. It was like a little spray paint and broken uh, easy yeah, things to fix kinda, like kind of weird yeah just kind of just kind of interesting to note but but yeah the quilt was not at the house either so so yeah it, it i would assume that whatever happened to rachel she's probably with that quilt probably i mean it would be pretty would be pretty risky for someone to keep it at this point oh yeah i mean it's either with rachel or it was thrown away at the time Rachel went missing. And in that case, we'd probably never, ever, right. ever find it. So when they found the truck in Huron, it had severe damage underneath. I couldn't find any details on what that damage was, just that it was severe. Yeah, I heard a, a couple of different things, both from uh, some family members and from some people in the local community that I spoke to, some of which were uh, people that were very close to Rachel per se, but yeah, there's the theory that Brad and maybe a friend just kind of ran her down and that's why there was damage underneath. I would like to think that the DCI would have found evidence of that at some point after they found the truck. And I honestly, I can't, what, what damage could a human do to the underside of a, of a truck? Oh, well, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a couple episodes of forensic files that you know, you'd be a little surprised, but there's also the theory that they didn't, you know, run her down, but they took her somewhere really kind of rough, off road, really rough terrain. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and that sure. would be a little bit more likely. And then, you know, and then you almost have to wonder too, with it being damaged that much, like, did they get stuck at some point? You know, it involves someone else. Was so. it so damaged it couldn't run? No, no, but, but, you know, I've, I've been stuck. In a in a truck, actually, I had a truck just like that almost, um, except for it was brown. But I got stuck a, a couple of different times in that thing, and um, you know the if 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 you have done something that damages that undercarriage and and gotten stuck, you're stuck, stuck. Kind of like stripping a screw. Yeah, like you're you know it, it's something that's you're hung up pretty bad if it's going to damage the underside of that truck. Those are, I mean. It's a 95 Chevy. Could it have been damaged before? It could have been. It could have been. But I mean, I think they would have been able to determine that. I, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I would think that they would be able to look at it and determine if that was like something old or if that was something that was relatively recent. Her records have been compared against other unidentified females. Yeah, her her records have definitely been um, checked against other... Jane Doe's. Jane Doe's in the... Not just in our area, but other places... Um, yeah. other states other yeah well yeah yeah 
across the country, I think, I, even. I'm guessing within the region. I mean, I don't know all that. the tri-state. Yeah, I'm not sure that Brad would have had the resources to get too far away. But, I mean, maybe it wasn't him. But, I mean, Tyler Newarth believes that it's him and he's a prime suspect. Then, I mean, Tyler seems like a nice I, enough guy. I so. think it's I think it's Brad 100%. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. It, it just If it wasn't, he would say it. Well, yeah, I mean. And he never has. It, it just seems that he is just. He's done nothing to make himself to clear his name. Yeah, I'm not even sure what that means. But, I mean, if he says that, then, I mean, I believe him. Like, yeah. just simply because they've looked into it, you know, so much. So, And it's just the statistics and the the information, like. You show this case to anybody and they're going to say, yeah, it was probably the husband. It's just, yeah. she's already, she had filed a protection order on him and yeah, I, she was filing for divorce. So if that doesn't make a man snap, then. Yeah. I mean, will. yeah. Like, like I said, you know, it's the first few months of leaving. Uh, well, I should say a long-term abusive relationship. They're so dangerous. I think sometimes women even have a hard time understanding exactly how dangerous it can be. I can't. When you're wearing rose-colored glasses, red flags just look like flags. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. All it's right. hard to miss. So to end, you want to give the description of Rachel? Rachel Lucille Syriax has been missing since November 13th, 2013 from Woonsocket, South Dakota, or Mitchell was where she was employed. She's 30 years old at the time she went missing. Caucasian, blonde, uh, brunette, brunette. Well, but blondish, kind of dirty blonde. Yeah, looks like it. Uh, she's five five, about one hundred and forty pounds. Um, she's got numerous tattoos. Some notable ones would be the name Brad, uh, RJ, a Playboy logo, some flowers. That's all I have on her. Nothing about what she's wearing. Yeah, I didn't get a description of what she was Which I highly wearing. doubt in 2020, if she were alive, she'd be wearing the same thing anyways. Right, right. But Rachel is presumed dead. She is. But you never know. Yeah. At this point, it just comes down to someone coming forward. And she leaves behind three three kids. Three young kids. Yeah. And, yeah, they've been they've been adopted. They're not even in the, in the grandparents' care? No. No. Circumstances just didn't allow for that to happen and do they um, have any contact with the kids uh i think they're able to um i don't know that yeah i i know that it's probably you know very difficult you know and at some point you know somebody's going to want to know what happened and do you think they're aware of who their mom is were they old enough you know i think when she went missing well so i don't know i'm not sure they got married in 2002 right yeah and then so then kids came Pretty much directly after that. So yeah. those kids, the oldest is probably 18. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And at the time she went missing, he would have been 11. So, yeah, he's definitely aware. That, God, that's so sad, those kids. I think that's the saddest part of it all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, if you have any information, contact the Sanborn County Sheriff's Office at 605-796-4511. We hope, uh, we hope this case gets some movement. Mary can get some closure and no information is insignificant. That's what we're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every, Um, anything that, you know, you can go to DCI with, if you knew Rachel, Yeah, if you know Brad, yeah, come forward. Um, you know, and if you have to contact us too. So we're kind of all over the Facebook and the, and the Twitter. So 
you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to law enforcement, you'd be glad to talk to you. Like, yeah, they do. Like, I think that if she would have been able to get clean and and maybe just a little bit longer time for Brad to be in jail, I don't know. I don't. She was, I mean, she was a, a really good mom. Like, and we also had, like, another friend, too, that was murdered. And, and that's why the RJ that she has on her arm. <laughs>